Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let's pray together before I teach. Lord, we do need you every moment, in all circumstances, all situations, everything that we face, that apart from you, we can do nothing, but in you, you can accomplish great things through us. Lord, I do pray today that your Holy Spirit would speak to each individual here, that you would meet us exactly where we are in the things that we are facing, Give us your direction, your courage, your strength. I pray especially for anyone who is here this morning who is brokenhearted, that you would comfort them, give them hope. Where they're grieving, that you would bring healing to them. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have been speaking for several weeks about the subject of courage. And I've tried to differentiate between what I would call human courage, that which you can manifest in your own strength and bring about, versus courage that comes from God himself, a supernatural spiritual courage that he imparts to you that is more long-term and sustaining, whereas the strength that you and I tend to have is something that is short-term, we can manufacture it for a little while and then it wanes and wears upon you. But in this discussion about courage, I've been hoping that in some ways God would expand our minds, our perspective on what is courage. Because there are a lot of things that we see and call courageous and rightfully so, they're obvious in crisis situations. There's some things that people do that they think are courageous, but they're based on deception and they're foolish. That true courage must be based on truth and love. But then there are a lot of things that I believe that people do that are in fact very courageous and maybe they don't think of them in that way. In fact, I asked the question when I started this, what is the most courageous thing you've ever done? And I asked that question because I first heard it some years ago when Dennis Rainey posed the question. And uh, it really is an interesting thing to contemplate. Now, I did have a couple share with me afterward that they were driving home and the wife turned to her husband and said, what is the most, inter- most courageous thing you've ever done? He thought about it. He said, well, it was marrying you. <laughs> Which, which was, it didn't come out exactly like he meant. He really wanted to marry her, really loved her, but he thought it was a, a step, a, a leap of faith to undertake marriage. And so it was a courageous thing to do, but the way it came out didn't sound exactly like what he had meant. And they're happily married or they wouldn't have shared it with me, but you, know, you must be careful in what you display in terms of the things that you've done that are courageous. But you see, for all of us, God calls us through life to grow in courage. You ever thought about that? 
that in this journey of walking with Christ, going through this world, he is causing us to grow in courage. Now, the reason I say that is because, A, we are designed to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, if you know him, that he's always about the process of conforming you into his image, that he is always about the process of deepening and strengthening your faith. And as your faith grows, your courage grows. You may not even realize that you're growing in courage. And in fact, I posed the question there a few weeks ago, are you a courageous person? And you may not have thought in terms of, oh yes, I'm a courageous person. But in fact, there are a lot of people who are in that category of being very courageous and they don't even think in those terms. And it's because they walk with such faith and such continuity with Christ that courage is a natural part of their life. That they do things that others would shy away from simply because of their love first for Christ, which then gives them a love for people. Now, in talking about courage, last week we came to the place of talking about the courage to fight. That there are a lot of different things that you may have to undertake in life that require courage, but sometimes God calls you to a place where you must take a stand and fight for what you know is right. You may have to fight for your family or for yourself or some situation around you. You might be called to fight for your country or something of that nature. But there are times when God calls us to stand and fight. Now, the scripture we looked at last week was this one in Samuel, where it's the story of David and Goliath. Of course, David is a young person at this point, probably in his teens, at most in his early 20s. He's not yet the king of the nation of Israel. Saul is the king, and as such, Saul is the leader of the army of Israel, and they're in a, a position where they're about to go to battle with the Philistines, but nothing has happened yet, and Goliath has come out and challenged the Israelites and said, send out your best warrior and let me handle them. And everybody was afraid. But David, who wasn't even a part of the army, he was just there to bring food to his brothers, he heard about what was going on, and he said, I'll fight him. In fact, in this case, he speaks to the king and says, let no man's heart fail on account of him, that is on the account of Goliath, that your servant, that is David, will go out and fight the Philistine. Of course, Saul looked at him as a boy and said, you're not able to go and fight because you're a young man and this man has been a warrior for a long period of time. He's experienced and strong and he knows what he's doing. You won't have a chance. David makes the argument. He says, look, I've fought the bear and the lion. I can fight the Philistine. He said, the Lord who delivered me from those vicious animals will likewise deliver me and, and when I fight the Philistine. And so Saul was convinced and said, go, may the Lord be with you. Now, of course, if you know the story go, that David went and he was victorious. Now, it is interesting that he had a courage that was special for that moment. If you look at the life of David, very often he had courage to do things, and he was walking in the will of God. But the most cowardly thing he did was what? When he had Bathsheba's husband essentially murdered by giving an order to put him on the front line and then withdraw and leave him there vulnerable, that was an extremely cowardly thing. So here's a person who demonstrated great courage at one time and at another time, 
terribly in the other direction. But you see, in this case, when he was fighting the Philistine, he was fighting a battle that God called him to and God imparted to him courage. In the case of what he was doing with regard to Bathsheba, he was trying to fight a battle. What was the battle he was fighting? To keep his sin covered up. Do you realize that if that is the battle you are fighting, God will never be with you? You think about that. You see, David's battle, when it came to the story of Bathsheba, was that he was trying to fight to keep his sin covered up. God was not with him. And that's something we're going to explore as we go through the teaching today, that there are battles that God calls us to, he equips us for, but there's sometimes that you and I can take upon a battle that he never called us to, and he is not for us or with us in that battle. Now, some people might be a little disconcerted by that statement, like God is always with us, he's always for us. Well, he's always with you, he'll never leave you, never forsake you, his spirit is with you, but you can do things that grieve the Holy Spirit. You can do things that quench the work of the Holy Spirit. You can be outside of the will of God at the same time you're walking with him. And he's not going to bless that which is not his call for you. So I said last week that one of the most important things in terms of being a person who stands in fights is to pick your battles very, very wisely. There are a lot of things that human beings take up as battles that we think we should dive in and handle it when God never calls you to that. And in fact, lots of times we get into battles that are instigated by something that was perhaps unwise or petty. See, a lot of marital arguments start with something pretty small. It is interesting how many people have confessed over the last couple of weeks of having backed into their garage door while it was closed. <laughs> if you were here, I mentioned that possibility. And, but thus far, no males have confessed, only females. <laughs> And I'm sure there's a male somewhere who has done that. In fact, you ladies, if you want to point them out, feel free to do so. <laughs> but you see, there are a lot of things that really aren't that important in life that escalate into a battle, and it should have never been. It is very, very important to pick and choose your battles wisely. Now, my wife and I don't have a lot of arguments and things like that. She's actually here this time when I'm talking about this, so she can testify that it's true. Although from her standpoint, maybe it's a little different than mine. Sometimes your perspective is different. But there was a time some years ago, quite a few years ago, where the, she did something that made me angry. I'm not going to tell you what. And I dwelled upon it for a good while. And I said, this is worth a battle. I didn't leap into it. I didn't jump upon the issue. I thought about it for a long period of time, and I said, I'm going to take a stand. This is worth a battle. And now, it wasn't like we got into a, a fight, but we had a firm discussion. Now, I meant that in a gentle, firm discussion. <laughs> But you see, there are some things that are worth a battle. But most of the things are not. 
And a critical thing is this. Before you rush in to any battle, is it something that God has called you to? Or is it something merely that you are drawn to because of something in your own flesh? Sometimes some of our giftings lead us into doing something that God did not call us to. In other words, if you have a gift of mercy, sometimes you might want to rush in and fix something or deal with a problem when God never called you to do that. Or if you have some stronghold of bitterness and you're easily angered, you might blow up and rush into a battle when you should have never been there. You see, it's very, very important to pick and choose your battles. Now, Where I want to go this week is continue to talk about courage. And you see the title is Supernatural Courage. I alluded to that with regard to David. He had an extraordinary courage to fight Goliath, to stand for the entire nation as a young man and take upon this battle. And I believe that God imparted to him supernatural courage because he was doing what God had called him to do in that moment. It wasn't just a foolish courage that he was manufacturing himself. There was something deeper and stronger in what he was doing. So I want to continue talking about David and just going to another scripture there in Samuel. It says that he's now confronting the Philistine and the Philistine is taunting him in various ways. But David responds and says, You come to me with a sword, a spear, a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Now, I mentioned last week when I started this teaching that I was specifically using the NASB version here, which I don't always do. But I have said many times over the years, if you have any doubt or question about a scripture, you should go and read the NASB because it is the most reliable literal translation into English. It is a word-for-word translation. It's a little harder to read than some other versions in some places. But if you have any doubt, go there. And so the reason I did so is because in some versions, maybe some that you have with you, where it says, I have come in the name of the Lord of hosts, the translation is, I have come in the name of the Lord God Almighty or the Lord Almighty or something of that nature. But the most reliable translation, I think, is where it says the Lord of hosts. Now, some of the translators didn't use that term because it doesn't seem to be so simple to understand as the Lord Almighty. But actually, you'll find that term, the Lord of hosts, hundreds of times in Scripture. So what does it mean? That God is, in this case, he says, the God of the army of Israel. So he's talking about the Lord of hosts, who is also the God of the armies of Israel. He's not talking just about Israel. The Lord of hosts refers to the fact that he is the God over all of the angelic realm. That the scripture says you and I are going to judge the angels. That undoubtedly they have responsibilities and assignments that are personalized to us. Some of us keep our angels very, very busy. Do we not? But we're going to judge the angels, which to me is a very interesting scripture. And so there is an angelic realm where there are things going on in the heavenlies that you and I cannot see. And the Lord God Almighty is the Lord over them. That the angels of heaven are doing his work, doing his bidding at all times. 
Of course, there are fallen angels who are allied with Satan who are competing against them. And that's why there is this spiritual war in the heavenly realms. The scripture says we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. Well, there are demonic forces that work in this world, and they do attack individuals and try to create problems in our lives. At the same time, there are angelic beings at work on our behalf, and the God that you and I know is the Lord over all of them. And so you see, David here is saying, look, Philistine, you may be big and strong, but I stand against you not as a young man by myself, but in the power of the living God. And not only that, the power of the angelic realm coming to bear on behalf of the armies of Israel. That God is with us, he's for us, he is against you, and you are in big trouble. Now, he could only say that if what? He is doing what is clearly the will of God. You see, if you're trying to fight a battle that is not a battle that God has called you to, you don't have this capacity to say, the God of the Lord of hosts is with me in fighting this battle, not if he didn't call you to it. And so, in this case, he comes with a a confidence that is extraordinary. In fact, I would say it's so extraordinary that the Spirit of God had to be upon him to illuminate his mind, to give him understanding, to give him this courage to fight. He said to Goliath, he says, this day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. And he's going to do so so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all of this assembly, he's talking about the armies that are there at that moment, may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, but the battle is his. You see, now here David has even a greater understanding. He's not going to say that I'm fighting you in my own strength for my glory. He says, I'm willing to fight because God's calling me to this and it is for the glory of the living God that I'm doing so. That he's going to demonstrate this day his power. It's sort of like with Gideon. Remember with Gideon that God kept whittling down his army so it was very small so that then God could reveal himself and he could show that he is the one who won the battle. Here he he takes a very young man who seems to have no possibility of fighting Goliath I mean, he, he didn't take the strongest warrior in the army of Israel. He took one who wasn't even in the army, equipped him so that who would get the glory? God himself. And that's the purpose, that the battle is God's. He's fighting it. David is in the middle of it. He's a vessel by which God is fighting. But God is demonstrating his own power and authority and might for the glory of the living God. Now look, if you are in a battle that God has called you to, you can have that same strength and courage and expectation that God is going to fight it for you. But you see, it is absolutely critical that you fight battles that God calls you to and you walk away from ones that are not his call for you. There have been plenty of times in my life where I was tempted to deal with something and when I stopped and prayed, I was sure the Lord said, no. Or he said, wait. In fact, very often in my Christian life, and I think this is true for all of us, 
one of the wisest things we can do is wait upon the Lord. Because you encounter a battle and you think, I've got to rush in and fix it, deal with it. And oftentimes, if you're listening to the Lord, he's saying, wait. I think I mentioned this once before, but it's worth sharing again. Now, I have read countless books on leadership and articles. I've written articles. This is back in my academic days on leadership. And in all of those things, I have only read one time in one book something that has become the most important principle of leadership in my mind and in my life. And that is waiting. So you go and find uh, books on leadership of any type, written by Christians, non-Christians. You will not find people who write about waiting upon the Lord. You'll find a lot of things about taking charge and, and orchestrating the circumstance and what leadership is and having a vision and implying the vision. But you'll find it very difficult to find as a leadership principle waiting but one time, some years ago, I read a book by Oswald Sanders, not Oswald Chambers, but Oswald Sanders, and it was entitled Spiritual Leadership, and he's the only person I've ever seen write about the principle of waiting upon the Lord in leadership, and you see, I believe in many, many, many battles, if you will wait if it is God's battle and you know it's something he's calling you to, if you will wait, he will fight it for you. But if it's not his battle and you rush into it, you're going to fight it in your own strength. If it is something he's called you to, but he's saying to you, wait, you're going to fight it in your own strength. But if you march in the timing that he has, he will fight it for you. Now, humans naturally, most of the time, want to do one of two things. When there comes something where we must fight, where we must stand, we want to do one of two things. What is it? Run. We want to flee, not fight it. Or what? Leap into it and try to fight it in our own strength. Oftentimes, neither one of those is what God is calling you to. It's a battle that he may be calling you to, but he's saying, march in step with me. Do not march ahead. In his timing, in his power, according to what he does, he will fight the battle for you. And I've seen this enough to be absolutely certain that is true. I've seen people's lives that were in absolute disarray and chaos and the main thing I could encourage them about was seek the Lord every day. Just seek him. Don't try to fix all of the problems around you. Seek him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Trust him, love him, and see what he will do. And I've seen God take chaos and turn it into blessing. You see, it's so important to recognize when he is the one fighting for you. In fact, a lot of us, a lot of the time, exhaust our own strength, and I've done this, 
trying to fight a battle when we need to rest and let him fight it. Now, maybe some of you here have no problem resting. That is, you just, it's easy for you to just relax, take it easy, enjoy life, and rest. But now, for me personally, that is a struggle. And I suspect for a lot of you, because I'm a doer, I like to be active. In fact, my wife says that I make her tired sometimes just watching me. That I like to do things. And so it is hard to wait when you are a doer. But you will exhaust yourself sometimes doing what God is saying, wait upon me, rest in me. I was listening to one of the persons who is um, a host on Black Mountain Radio, and she was saying that she had learned from someone else that rest is not something you earn. Rest is not something you earn. That rest is something that you need to take and enjoy as a gift regularly. And see, if you're a doer, you sort of feel like I have to do everything on my list, check it all off, and then I can rest. And maybe what it is is God is saying, rest in me and I will fight the battle. Upside down, as it often is in the kingdom of God, from what we might naturally want to do. And so one of the questions I would ask you at this point is, are you right now fighting a battle, A, that God did not call you to, or B, Fighting it in your own strength rather than waiting upon him because you're rushing ahead of him. It might be a battle that God has called you to, but you're not marching in step with him. Do you realize that waiting is demonstrating faith? I'm saying I trust him enough that even when everything around me says I need to take action, do something about it, I'm going to wait and see what he does and watch him at work. Now, there are times, though, when God says, now is the time, right now, go. He might say, wait, 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 and then suddenly, now is the time. It might be that you're in a conflict with a person and it's been going on for Weeks, months, maybe even years. And God has said to you, wait, wait, wait. And then all of a sudden he says, now is the time. Go to them. You see, in his perfect timing, he fights the battle for you. Now, in talking about this, though, I keep saying, if it is a battle that God has called you to... I think there are some circumstances where you might enter into a battle and you are on your own. Now, this scripture is in the book of Joshua. And the story is, first of all, that Joshua was raised up to be the leader of Israel as they go into the promised land. You know, they come out of Egypt, they wander around in the wilderness, a whole generation dies off. Joshua, who was a man of faith, remember one of only two spies who went in and saw the promised land, who believed that they could do it, who, had, who trusted God. 
He is raised up to be the leader of Israel after Moses dies. He goes into the promised land and they're having victories and all the surrounding nations are hearing about them and becoming afraid of them. And right before the scripture that we're looking at here, they had fought the battle at Jericho. And really, God fought it for them. They had a great victory there. They were very successful. And then they come upon a town called Ai, literally spelled Ai. And Joshua sent some people to go and check it out and see what's going on there. And they come back with a report. It says, look, there are only a small number of people guarding the city. You won't need to send a big army there. Just send a few hundred of our soldiers. We'll take it easily. And so he sends them, and they're routed. And the scripture records that three dozen of the Israelites are killed in the battle. And so at this point, you find Joshua who is very distressed because up to this point, he's been leading the nation of Israel in victory. And that's just what's on his mind. They're in the promised land according to God, and it's victory after victory. But here, suddenly they have a defeat, and a defeat at the hands of a very, very small enemy. And so Joshua is on his knees basically going, God, what is wrong here? What has happened? Why did you desert us? Or something along that line. And the Lord says, get up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? He says, Israel has sinned and they have transgressed my covenant. Now, they are the covenant people. God's made this covenant with them. They're in a very special place. They have responsibilities to honor him by abiding by the covenant. And he says, Israel has sinned. And if you know the story, what happened was this. It says that they have taken some of the things under the ban and have stolen and deceived. Because when they attacked and defeated Jericho, there was this person by the name of Achan who had taken things that they were told not to take, like silver and other valuables and things like that. He had taken them and buried them in his own tent. So basically, he had done what God instructed them not to do, and he had taken things of this world that he could trust in rather than trusting God. And God was upset with him for having disobeyed. And his sin and disobedience affected the entire nation of Israel. He says, they have put these things among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs and they run because they are accursed. And God said to this, he said, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Now, that's a pretty stern warning. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things from in your midst. And of course, they do so. They go back eventually and have success against AI. But you see, there's something here that's very important, I think. That is, if you are a person who is seeking God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, that you're seeking to live a righteous life, that you genuinely love him, that day in and day out, when, when there are things that happen in your life where you say or do something that is sinful, you repent quickly and you get back on track. If that's you, you can expect God to be on your side every time you encounter a battle, that either he will tell you, look, don't touch it, 
I'll protect you, or you have to fight this one, but I'll be with you, I'll fight it for you. If you are honoring him continuously. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not, this, I'm not talking about a works religion now that you earn the favor of God. He protects you if you're doing certain things. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you love him, you walk with him, you're in his will, he promises to be with you. But if in your life there is unrepentant sin of any character, it's ongoing, he's warned you, you don't turn away from it, when the battles come along, God is not going to fight for you until such time as you repent. That's exactly what's stated right here. There's unrepentant sin in the nation of Israel, and until such time as they deal with it, they are fighting the battles on their own. It's like the person who purports to be a Christian and has a, a good family life and all these kinds of things, active in the church. All the while, they have a mistress on the side, and they're having an affair that's gone on for a good while. And there's unrepentant sin. Well, you see, if there is unrepentant, ongoing sin, you cannot expect God to fight battles for you. Now, separate and differentiate that from yesterday, you, you under pressure lied. And you immediately were convicted about it, you were sorry about it, you got on your knees and you confessed it, you asked God to forgive you. Has God forgiven you? Yes. Is he still fighting your battles? Yes, he is. See, there's a difference between the person who is sensitive to the Holy Spirit and repents quickly versus the person who is, has a hard heart and is unrepentant. See, if, if you're embezzling in your business over and over and over and then you're fighting battles and you're upset because God doesn't seem to be on your side, there's a reason. Until you confess and repent of your sin, you cannot expect him to fight battles for you. It's a contradiction. How could the God of the Lord of hosts be the one who is fighting your battles when you are dishonoring him with your life. Which is sort of where we are as a nation. As a nation, we're dishonoring him in so many different ways, disregarding his holiness and righteousness. How could we expect him to fight our battles for us as a nation? See, this is so important. You, you can't control the life of another person. You can't take responsibility for them. You can only be responsible for yourself. It is so important that you choose personally to seek to honor God with a holy and righteous life. I'm not talking about legalism or anything like that. I'm talking about a person who walks with true, a true concern about living without any hint of immorality in their life. Anything that even glimpses of untruth, you don't want anything to do with it. You never come close to lying. You never come close to sexual immorality. Because, not because of legalism or fear of those things, but because you actually love the living God. See, if you love him, you despise the things that are not of him. If you're drawn to the things of this world and you love the things of evil and you keep indulging in sinful things, it says you do not truly love him. It's like I once said to a man who was having an affair, 
I said, your problem is not with your relationship with your wife. That's not why you're having an affair. You're having an affair because of the problem of your relationship with the living God. And his response was, you're probably right. So if you want God to fight your battles, you must be a person who is constantly preparing for battle by seeking him and seeking to honor him all of the time. See, like King David, he fought that battle against Goliath to the glory and honor of the living God. But then when he sinned with Bathsheba, he did just the opposite. By that time in his life, he'd become too comfortable, too prideful, too lustful. And he allowed sinful desires to put him in a place that truly undermined his life. Not only on a short term, but on a long term, because his sins of murder and sexual immorality came upon his household and continued in his household for long periods afterward. I absolutely believe God fights battles for us. But not if we're living a life that is a contradiction to the character and nature of God. Now, sometimes he's fighting for us and we don't even see it. In this scripture, it says the king of Aram, he was fighting with the king of Israel. And if you read the passages that lead up to this particular verse... It says that the king of Aram was upset with people around him because he said, whatever plans I have and whatever I'm trying to do, it's the army of Israel knows about them. The king of Israel knows about them before we do them. In other words, we're getting ready to attack at a certain place and suddenly the Israelites are gone. And so the king of Aram says, who is it in the leadership of our country that is a spy that is telling Israel what we're doing? I mean, he thinks that they know the plans. Now, sometimes if you look at the history of military activities, in fact, this is exactly what's going on. That it's like the British broke the code that the Germans used, so they knew a lot of the things that they were planning. And so there are those times when somehow the enemy knows what you're planning to do. Well, the king of Aramis said, who is telling the Israelites? And one of the people in his... In, the leadership of the nation said, it's not one of us. It's that prophet Elisha. That he tells the king of Israel and the army of Israel where to go and where not to go. Or where to withdraw or where to attack. That it's the prophet who is the problem he's telling them. So the king of Aram says, where is he? I'm going after him. If you read that scripture, it says he's in Dothan. Not Dothan, Alabama. Anybody here from Dothan, Alabama? No. I have a friend who's from there. That's why I thought of it. But he, he finds out that he's in Dothan and he sends his army to surround that city. And that's where the scripture picks up. It says the king of Aram sent horses and chariots and a great army there to Dothan. 
And they came by night, they surrounded the city so that the attendant, the servant of the man of God, when he arose the next day, he saw this army surrounding the city. Imagine, you went to sleep, things are normal, you wake up the next day and you see an army encircling the city. It'd be very scary, would it not? And so the servant says, alas, he's talking to Elisha, he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? Now, Elisha, true to his character that you find throughout Scripture, says, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, Elisha is perhaps my most favorite character in all of Scripture for a variety of reasons. A, if you read about him, you find out that he's bald. And he has the capacity to call down bears upon anyone who makes fun of bald people. Just pointing that out. I even have a shirt that has 2 Kings 2.23 on it, a t-shirt that I wear sometimes. That's the scripture about that. But Elisha, you look at his life, he is very, very, very faithful throughout, continuously. First, he was faithful to Elijah, got a double portion of his spirit, and he's faithful to God. And he says to his servant, he says, yeah, I see the army's out there, so forth and so on, but um, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. A servant was probably thinking, I don't get it. And then Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, open his eyes. And so it says that the Lord opened the servant's eyes and what he saw on the mountain, that it was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, the king of Aram had sent an army to attack really for one purpose, to kill Elisha. And there's an army, an angelic army. Remember the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is surrounding Elisha with an angelic army. And Elisha can see it, but nobody else can until God opens the eyes of the servant. And then he realizes, whoa, it's not what I expected. And if you know the rest of that story, God blinded the army of the king of Aram. The Israelites captured them. The king of Israel said to Elisha, should I kill them all now? Elisha said, no. Do you know what he did? He said, no, feed them a meal. They gave him a nice meal, sent them back. And the scripture records there was no more war between Aram and Israel. But Elisha could see in the heavenly realm. And I believe that the angels of the Lord are with us, fighting for us, if you're walking with him. If you're his, honoring him, someday when you get to judge the angels in, in, in the heavens and give them a reward for the things they've done, God's going to show you all the ways in which they walked with you protected you, fought the battles for you, fought against the spirits of darkness. I'm sure there are many times when the spirits of darkness are attacking us and the angelic realm comes and fights the battle for us. So there are times when God gives us supernatural courage. He imparts it to us, just pours it out in our lives to fight a battle in any given moment that is an extraordinary battle. Now, as I've said in this little series, I hope your vision of what courage is and when it's applied is expanded 
Sort of like when we talked about prayer. I hope your mindset about what prayer is is larger and greater. And I want to tell you a little story about, as you guys can come, and they're going to lead us in a song of courage. But I want to tell you one last little story. Most of you, many of you will know Tammy McFadden. She runs our nursery and has for a long time. Is a very faithful servant and loves your children. And about two years ago, maybe a little bit more, her father died. And she told me the story. Of course, I knew about the situation as it was developing. His health was very serious and was declining. And eventually he went in on a ventilator. And I think he was at the VA he was a Marine. I once introduced a friend of mine who was a Marine to somebody else, and I said, he's a former Marine. He stopped me and corrected me. There is no such thing, he said, that once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. And uh, so Tammy's dad was a Marine. He was facing what appeared to be the end of his life. His health was declining rapidly, and he went on a ventilator. And he was there for quite a number of days. And eventually the doctor said, now he's coherent. He wasn't comatose. He was fully coherent. And the doctor said, there's really nothing else we can do. The only thing that's keeping him going at this point is the ventilator. And so at some point, probably somebody's going to have to make a choice. That is... Eventually, perhaps his health would decline and he would come to the place where somebody in the family had to choose. Now's the time to take him on. But it, perhaps it's unusual that he was so coherent and lucid in these last moments of his life or days of his life. But he came to the place where he made the choice himself. He said, I'm ready. His faith was rich and strong. It had been for a long time, for many years. He said, I'm prepared to die. His family gathered around him. He said goodbye to everybody, and they removed the ventilator. He died a couple hours later. Now, to me, that's supernatural courage. The kind of courage that God imparts to a person. But you see... He was so sure in his faith, so confident in who God is, that he was ready. And I really believe it's not always a matter of life and death. There are a lot of situations that you and I can't encounter that sometimes we're just totally, completely overwhelmed. And God says, trust me, I'll give you the courage to walk through it, no matter what it is. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him.